One of the reasons that we wanted to, to share that, that video with you was one, just to celebrate uh, just the 220-something that we know of salvations that took place in 2020, 2021, and all that got baptized. Uh, this is something that we, we want to continually let our church know and see because Sunday to Sunday, we come in, we're doing our thing, we're part of house churches, we're online with our families, and we see the baptisms and we see this, but it, it's, it's, it's easy for us to get used to seeing baptisms. It's good for us to uh, get used to seeing salvations, but never to stop and to think and to celebrate and honestly to see the rarity of what it is uh, for people who do not know Jesus to come to know Christ in this day and age. It's, a, it's a, just as much a miracle today as it was 2,000 years ago. And, and it's something we just want to celebrate as a church. And on top of that, on top of that, we want us to see the way that each of our stories, the way that each of our testimonies impact the people around us. I mean, the, the power that is in Grant's story, that same power exists in your story, that same power exists in your life, and, and God wants to use you and use your story and use your life to change the world around you. And we just feel like this is something as we're getting into the middle of this vision series. Uh, and if this is your first time here, we are in the middle of what we call a vision series. And a vision series is just simply this, that we know that every now and then it's important to realign our lives and our families and our church around the mission of Jesus Christ and around what God is doing and where God is taking us in the future. And that's what we want to do today. And I'm about to pray here in just a second. But I want to give some disclaimers for today's message, okay? I am, I am in recovery mode right now from the thing that you can't say in a large gathering place, okay? I do not have it. Do not, do not immediately, there. Do not, don't panic. Uh, I'm, I'm negative, uh, but I'm in recovery in my lungs. And in the first service, I almost passed out in the middle of preaching because I got too excited and my, my throat wasn't caught up to my energy levels. So I got a cough drop up here in this little hidden buggy. I've got a uh, coffee with honey, uh, coffee, got tea with some honey over here. Uh, and, and I got uh, this uh, guy with a beard sitting on the front row with several gallons of water. Uh, and so I'm ready. So I just want to go ahead and up front tell you, uh, it's this message, I'm so excited about it. And I've been waiting to preach this message for some time now, and so I'm a little frustrated because uh, this is one where I want to just get passionate, uh, but I'm just going to have to depend on, on, on the Lord's power in this as I do every week. Uh, but I just want you to know, if I start to cough, just laugh. And if I pass out, God will revive me <laughs> and bring me back, and we'll finish the message. Amen? Amen. All right, and, and I'm going to pray really fast, but before I pray, my second disclaimer is this. I, I believe that, that God's word is, is divinely inspired by God. I believe that it's living, it's active. I believe that it's epically powerful to imbirth faith and to change our lives and to change our eternities. I think that the, the Bible makes clear that the, the words of Jesus Christ, the words of the Bible, the verses, the scriptures, that this is what the Holy Spirit uses uh, to change us, to renew our minds, to change our minds and to transform us into the image of Jesus Christ himself. And, and because of, of the nature of God's word, there is a significant amount of challenging messages and challenging thought processes and challenging concepts. And there truthfully is a lot that is asked of us and of followers of Jesus out of the scriptures. Our salvation is free. Uh, it's given to us 
but what the Bible asks of us uh, is, is heavy sometimes. And, 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 I, and I think that's a great thing. I think that's an amazing thing because we were lost, uh, blind sinners, enslaved to sin. We've been uh, saved by Christ, set free, and we're in the process of being changed into the image of Christ. And so there is a significant amount of things that we are born with that God has to work out of our life. There's a significant amount of things that have happened to us that have damaged us and wounded our souls and there needs to be a significant amount of healing. There's, there's all kinds of junk inside of our hearts that has to be removed and, 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 our, and just our perspectives and, and everything has to change. And so that opens up the door to a ton of conviction at times and challenging messages at times and a lot of big asks of the Bible. The disclaimer is that today's message is going to ask something significant of you. It's going to ask something significant of you. It's going to ask uh, a, a, a big, big question. And, and the thing that I want you to know that it's Jesus that's asking you this question today. It's your Savior and it's your King that's asking you this question today. And so I, I, as we go into this, I want you to know you're going to be asked a huge question, given a big challenge but if you say yes to this challenge, I can also promise you that though it will change things significantly in your life, it will open up your life and open up your world to a level of power and presence and blessing and purpose uh, that you, can't see, you simply cannot experience in any other way of life than this. And so this is a huge message. This is a huge deal. And there's a, there's a big question that, that is going to be asked by Christ to our hearts at the end of the message today. But I want to encourage you to let the Holy Spirit speak. Let the words just go to the depths of your, whole, uh, your soul and, and let the Lord move and work. And so I, I want us to pray that prayer. I want us to line our hearts. And let's just all, as we're praying the spiritual prayer, also pray um, that my lungs don't explode while I'm preaching. Can we pray that prayer? Yeah. All right, Father God, I just come before you, Lord. Father, I love you and I trust you. Lord, I know that today's message is challenging. I know that today's message is asking a lot. And I pray, Father, right now, God, I just surrender my heart, my mind, my body to you. I pray, Lord, I surrender this house to you, this moment to you. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you will take this moment and that you will use it, Father God, in our lives to change us, to affect us, and to impact us, God. I pray, Lord, that you will bring some healing, uh, just some quick healing uh, to my body, Father. I pray, Lord, your word says that your power is perfected in our weakness. And God, I am weak this morning, Father, so let your power be perfected. Lord, let your anointing rest on me. Holy Spirit, speak through me in significant power, Father, in your name. Amen. So the message is going to come out of 2 Corinthians 5, starting with verse 14. Uh, and I, I want you to know up front that, that Paul is uh, jumping off of some pretty significant insults that have been thrown his way uh, by some opponents and by people from other religions and even people within Christianity. Paul was seen uh, as a fanatic, uh, and his opponents were, were kind of delivering this message in Corinthia, the church of Corinthia and to the Corinthian church. That, that Paul, you don't need to listen to Paul, you don't need to follow Paul, you don't need to really, you can, you can do the Jesus thing and the Christian thing without being this crazy. They're basically just saying, Paul, you're insane, Paul, you're crazy. You know, you, you want us to live our lives for Christ, you want us to, to abandon, you know, these idols, you want us to abandon certain ways of life, you want us to walk away from things that we know, things that are very normal in our culture. Uh, and there was just a lot of criticism going towards Paul. And the Corinthian church was kind of in this division, they were kind of in this strong battle 
battle uh, between this because, you know, they, Paul showed up preaching the gospel. He showed up preaching Christ. Uh, there was the Holy Spirit moved significantly, and, and the Corinthians uh, became a massive uh, church, a, a massive, large following of Jesus Christ, and they, they were known throughout the world. Uh, but then there, there came even some Christians. They started to come. They say, listen, we can still do the Jesus thing without being crazy. We can still do the Jesus thing, but still take part in this and still be a part of this and still do this. And so that he was getting kind of labeled as like this crazy fanatic, you know, religious leader type guy. And so Paul does what Paul does so well is he kind of comes humbly, but in the power of the Lord. And right before verse 14, right before this, he addresses this and he basically says this. He goes, I, 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 I may be out of my mind. I may be crazy, but if I'm crazy, it's for Christ. And if I'm in my right mind, it's for you. He said, but either way, what I want you to know uh, is that I have become convinced of this thing called Jesus. And instead of kind of defending himself, instead of saying, I'm not a fanatic, instead of saying, I'm not crazy, instead of saying, I'm not out of my mind, what he said was, I am out of my mind. I, I am crazy, but it's for Jesus. And not only am I crazy, but I'm about to ask you to be crazy with me. Does that make sense? And that, that's kind of the context and the conversation that's happening. And Paul jumps off of these insults and off of these accusations into one of the most challenging uh, concepts and one of the most challenging things that, that God asks of us. And so Paul, he starts with this, uh, he's starting to explain to them why he's crazy, why he's so fanatical about Jesus, why he loves Jesus the way he does. And so in verse 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 5, verse 14, he says this, he says, for Christ." Love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died and he died for all that those who uh, live should no longer live for themselves but for him who died for them and was raised again. That's Paul's way of saying that I believe in Jesus Christ and I believe that he came and he died for my sins. But he, he says, up. he says, I want you to know what drives me. I want you to know what energizes me. I want you to know what makes me crazy, what compels me. It's the love of Christ. The love of Christ inside of me compels me. I'm compelled by the love of Christ because I am convinced, I'm convinced, I know without doubt that Jesus Christ was exactly who he said he was, that Jesus Christ was the son of the living God, that Jesus Christ was not a philosophical idea, it wasn't a part of an idealistic religion, that Jesus Christ was the living, active Son of God who came because the Father sent him out of love, who came to this world because I was eternally separated from the Father, because I was a sinner, because I was enslaved to sin, because I was lost in this world, because I was blind, and Jesus came to this world because he loved me to die for my sins and to die on a cross and to pay the debt that I owed that I couldn't pay, to die the death that I deserved. I believe it. I'm convinced of it that Jesus Christ came to this world, not just to die for me, but to save me. And that in his death, he conquered the fear of death and the grave in his resurrection. And I believe this. And so Paul says, listen, I want everybody to make sure you're super clear on what I'm saying and who I am. You're saying that I'm crazy. And I'm telling you, you're right. I am crazy, but I'm so crazy because I'm compelled by the love of Christ, because I am convinced that Jesus Christ is 
Jesus, that he's the king, that he is the one the Bible says that God created the universe through Jesus Christ. Paul says, I believe in Romans 11, 27 and 28. I believe that everything comes from him. Everything's held together through him and everything is for him. I believe that the universe exists because of Jesus Christ. And I believe that we have hope in this life because of Jesus Christ. And he says, and I'm telling you right here and right now, after spending my whole life climbing the religious ladder and giving my whole soul to my career and achieving great wealth and achieving great power and achieving all these accolades, he says, I am telling you, the moment that I met Jesus Christ, everything that I knew about life changed, everything that I thought about life changed, and if I'm crazy, I'm crazy because I'm convinced that Jesus is not just a philosophical religious idea, but he's a living, active king, and he's real, and he's moving in this world, and he's my king, and I'm convinced of it, and his love inside of me compels me to live the way that I'm living my life. He says, so I want you to know up front, that's my viewpoint. That's my viewpoint. That's where I'm coming from. I am convinced Jesus is who he said he was. I am convinced of that. And then he throws out this challenge, and this is the first challenge. This is, he says, up front, he says, if you're convinced of that, because they want him to back down off his fanaticism. What they want is they want Paul to back down. They want, they want Paul to come up and say, you can do the Jesus thing, but you can still do the world thing. You can do the Jesus thing, but you can still do the culture thing. You can do the Jesus thing and you can do the heaven thing, but you can still be a part of this. Paul, if you could just come down a little bit, uh, just lower the standard a little bit, just lower the expectation a little bit. And Paul says, no, I'm doubling down. If you think that Jesus Christ is Jesus Christ, then you need to be convinced not only that he died for you, but that you you need to live for him and him alone. That there is no greater thing on this earth to live for. There's no greater cause than the cause of Jesus Christ. You know, one thing about my generation, now this is just statistically and in and, and, and research and sociology, that, that statistically, the generation that comes before mine, I'm a millennial, the generation that comes before mine, that they were very career-minded, that they were very business-minded, they were very financially driven but that most of the millennials were raised in homes uh, with parents very focused on their career, very focused on, on business, very focused on climbing the ladder uh, and, and money. And we saw that it didn't really make anything better or happy. Uh, and we saw a lot of marriages fall apart. And so as we grew up, what we wanted, we didn't want to live for business or career or money. We wanted to, to live for something more. We wanted purpose. We wanted a cause. And, and we spent a lot of time not working and talking about living for a cause. And so now most of us are driving around in a van you know, traveling the world and still talking about living for something. But the, the point is, is that, that my, my generation is significantly, somebody's like, I wish they were in a van. They're still in my basement, to be honest with you. <laughs> but the point is, is that we, we're very, very uh, cause-minded, my generation. And we want to live for something and we want to have purpose. And what Paul's saying is he's saying, listen, there is no greater cause. There is no greater political cause. There's no greater social cause. Uh, there, there's nothing more than your career, more than your job, more than power. He said, I'm telling you, there's no life worth living greater or more uh, peace-giving, more content, more power. There's nothing more purposeful than living for Jesus Christ. And so he's, he's coming and he's challenging you. And he's saying, if you believe Jesus who he says he is, then don't, don't just believe for salvation, but live for him. Serve him. 
Like make an impact for him. Give your life to him. You know, he says in, in Romans 12, 1, lay down your life as a living sacrifice. Like, like see, look back in view of everything that God's done for you in view of the cross, in view of, of God creating this world and creating us and giving us life and giving us life eternal. He said, in view of all of that, lay down your life and live for him every single day. Live for the cause of Christ. Live for the impact of Christ. Give your life to Christ and serve him and live every day. That's the challenge. And that's something that, that's, that, that's good. Like we should live like that. And, and we could come up here and I could talk about that. And that could be the whole message. And we could get all pumped and we could be like, yeah, we're going to go live for Jesus. But then we're like, what the heck does that really mean? Can I get an amen? I, like that, that, it's more difficult than we realize. Uh, because, you know, it's, uh, yes, we need to obey and we need to walk in righteousness and we need to let the Holy Spirit change us and we, we need to serve God. But, but Paul's saying, no, you, you need to live for him. You need to live for him. And, and, and the thing I think that we, we, we miss in this a lot of times is that uh, we, we tend to view church uh, as, as this building. So when we talk about the church expanding or the church of Jesus Christ advancing or the kingdom of heaven advancing, it's hard for us to picture the big picture. It's hard for us to, to picture it. And so we tend to just think about it as a church, like our church growing or this happening. But, but the, the truth is, is that the movement of Jesus Christ is just that. It is a movement that Jesus made a, a, very, a significantly personal promise to the disciples, specifically to Peter and to really all of us, all, all believers that come after him. And he said, I want you to know that I am the one. Jesus says, I'm the one that builds my church. I'm the one that builds my church. He says, I'm gonna build my church so strong that not even the gates of hell are gonna prevail against it. Jesus says, I'm gonna be personally involved in building the church. I'm gonna be personally involved in managing the church. This is one of the things, this is why I believe the last way I think that Jesus wanted us to see him on earth or involved in our lives in the church and is in the book of Revelations in chapter one and chapter two. Now, Revelations is super uh, you know, popular and, 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 and very focused on for the end times you know, and the you know, end of the world and the antichrist. And I'm not trying to water that stuff down. That's a pretty big deal, right? But there's more to it. There's more to the book of Revelations. In fact, it's literally called the revelation of Jesus Christ or the testimony of Jesus Christ. All the book of Revelations is Jesus telling John what his story and, and what to expect. And one of the things that Jesus says in, the, in chapter one and chapter two is he tells John, he, he's, he's standing behind John he says this on the Sabbath days in the day of the Lord, John gets in kind of the spirit zone and, and Jesus shows up and he says, John, when you turn around, I want you to write down exactly what you see. And so when John turns around, what he sees is he sees Jesus. And he, he's in this, he says that his whole body, his whole being will shine like the brilliance of the sun, that he had, it's like he had fire, like a furnace in his eyes. He had a sword coming out of his mouth representing the word of God uh, and that he was just this brilliant, just crazy, powerful, you know, fire in his eyes, living king. And it says that he was standing among the lampstands and was holding stars in his hand. I know that sounds weird, but Jesus quickly explains and says that they're symbols. The lampstands are literally the churches and the stars in my hand are literally the messengers and the leaders of the churches. And this was the image at which Jesus wanted to leave the church with. He wanted us to know up front, I am deeply involved in the building of my church. 
I am, I am involved in the expansion of the church. I'm involved uh, in, in, in it. I'm standing amongst it. I'm walking among the churches. I'm holding the leaders in the hands. I'm the one that's moving. I'm the one that's building. And Jesus said, it, it, I, want, I believe the word that, that would be appropriate is Jesus says, I want you to know that I, not only am I personally involved in your life, as in, I, you're in a relationship with me, and that I put my spirit inside of you, but that I'm also personally involved in the movement and the expansion of the church. And so when we, we, we talk about living for Christ, and we talked about making an impact for Christ, what, what Paul's saying and what Jesus is asking of us is that we take part with him in the advancing of the kingdom of heaven on the earth that we take part with him in the, the advancement of the church. We take part in the salvation of the lost in, our, in and around our lives. So that, that's the heart of what he's saying. And he's saying, it's, you're not on your own. I'm with you. Uh, you're, you're a part of a movement. You're a part of basically a revolution. Uh, and Jesus says, we're, we're going. You ever thought about the gates of hell? Everybody acts like it's, it's the enemy attacking us. But when Christ talks about the church, he said, it's the gates of hell that can't prevail. Gates don't attack people. Jesus was saying, I want you to know I'm building a church that will expand and attack the gates of hell. And the gates of hell won't be able to stop the church from pressing forward in our community and in our family and in our lives. Like that's the, that's the heart. It's like, don't, don't imagine some like weak little speech. Imagine like a lion roaring and Jesus saying, we're taking over the area. We're taking over the earth. We're, we're expanding into the community and we're changing people's lives. That's the heart of it. That, that's what we're doing. We talk about living for Christ. That's what he's saying. He's saying, be a part of the movement and the expansion of the church. Be a part of the salvation of the community and the people and the family around you. And again, that's amazing. But what does that look like? And Paul goes into it, and I, and I, I cannot reiterate to you, and I, I cannot exaggerate to you the next few scriptures, the depth of them, and the practical power of them, if we could just get an ounce of it in a real way and see it in a real way, the way it would change every single thing in our lives. And he says, so the first thing is 2 Corinthians 5, verse 16. He says, the, the first thing, if you're going to really live for Jesus, now I, I'm, I'm, I, I, I just, I don't care if it's an awkward moment. I need you, I need you to, to get this. He's about to say a sentence. And this sentence by itself, this verse by itself is so significant in the way that we live our lives, that if we grasp it, it would change everything. And this is what it says. It says, because we're, we're compelled by the love of Christ, because we're convinced that Jesus is who he says he is, because we are convinced and compelled to live our lives for Christ and for the impact of the cross on this earth and for the advancement of the church and the advancement of the kingdom of heaven. He says, because we're convinced of that and we're compelled by his love, from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Now, there's a part of you that was like, I was kind of expecting something different because he stood up there. Did you hear him, Susan? He was like, it's going to change everything. And that didn't seem like it's going to change everything. It is. Now listen to me. Don't regard 
anyone from a worldly point of view. Don't regard, literally the word is fleshly. Don't view people, anyone, from a humanistic standpoint, from a fleshly standpoint, from a cultural standpoint. That means that, that when you look at people, you're not to look at them from any perspective of humanism whatsoever or culturally whatsoever. Let me, let me put it in a, in a day-to-day life really fast. Everybody, and I apologize if your name is Doug, but everybody knows a Doug. And I used to know a Doug. And Doug annoyed me beyond anything. You ever met somebody that I call them one-uppers? You could be like, yeah, me and my friends, we went hiking on Grandfather Mountain this weekend. It was really nice. Oh, yeah, like two weeks ago, we went to Mount Kilimanjaro. <laughs> you, you did? You, two weeks ago, you did? It's like 30 grand, and you could die. But I'm sure you did that, Doug. Uh, it's just one of those people that just get under your skin and deeply bother. It makes you want to throw things at them when they're not looking. Can we just be honest? Everybody knows a Doug, right? Or somebody's going, no, but I know a Kevin. <laughs> I just feel like I have to, if I'm going to offend Doug, I got to offend Kevin. Just want to make it, somebody's going to ne- come back to church. I'm sorry. First time, first time guest, name's Doug, never coming back. I love you. There's some great churches in the area. <laughs> but what, what this is saying is, is that, that as much as you want to kick Doug in the throat, the way that He's asking you to view Doug is no longer from a humanistic standpoint. It's that you look at Doug and you view Doug. Doug is someone who was lost in this dark world. Doug is someone who was blind spiritually and enslaved to sin. And Doug is hurting no matter how he he, he puts it up with it. he's, He's trying his best to find a reason and a purpose in life, but no matter what he gets to, he can't. And that Doug is in desperate need of a savior, your savior. And what Paul's saying is, is, that's the way that I want you to view people. I want you to view people like that from the lens of the cross. That means that, that, that all people, they're literally people in need of a savior or people who are already saved and are in the process of being changed into the image of Jesus Christ. He says, but you, you don't ever view people anymore. This would mean that, that, that we, don't, we don't, now I know you don't do this, but that we're no longer casting judgment in people's lives. That we're no longer judging their actions or their motives. We're no longer gossiping about them, slandering them, uh, even when they're evil towards us because we're choosing to live our lives for the cause of Christ and live our lives uh, for, for the expansion of the kingdom of heaven on this earth, we, we see into the depths of their soul and we know no matter what front they put up that they are in deep need of Jesus Christ. And that, that's what we need. It means that we're not just looking at our children as, as, as our kids. They're not just things that we have to take care of. They're not, they're not, they're not just, uh, you know, they're not in themselves a reason to live. And they're not like, and I hate to disappoint people, they're, they're not your second chance to be cool and to live vicariously through them. They're, they're, they're souls that need to be shaped by the creator of the universe. They need Jesus and they need to see Jesus in you more than anything else. The way that we view everything and the way that we view people significantly changes. Just to, and every time I do this, people leave the church, but I, 
just be real this morning. This means that you can no longer view people based on who they voted for. That you can no longer hate someone because they don't want to wear a mask or they do want to wear a mask. That you can't hate someone because they want to get a shot or they don't want to get a shot. You don't see people from black, white, red, and yellow. You don't see people from rich and poor. You don't see people uh, from what economic class they're from. You don't see people Republican or Democrat. I, I, I think that this is one of the reasons specifically why the church is at its weakest is when we put all of our faith and we get so caught up in the political world that we think that we can change the world by voting for the right person rather than remembering the only thing that can change the world is the spirit of Christ inside of us in the word of God. That, that we can, I know it's hard to clap for because you're like, does this mean I'm not clapping for my political party? Listen, we serve a king that doesn't get voted out every four to eight years. And we live for a cause that's been around from the creation of the world and will exist on into eternity. And, and what this is saying is saying, if you wanna live for Jesus and you wanna make an impact for this world, one of the things that he's asking you, and it's a big ask, not the biggest, but it's a big ask, is you have to lay down. He's asking you, you don't have to do anything. He'll love you no matter what but he's asking you to lay down your perspective of the people around you and to only view people through the lens of the cross and to only view people through the lens of Jesus. And that when you begin to look at people like that and see people like that, then you take on this love that Christ had. There's compassion, there's mercy. And, and to the brothers and sisters in Christ, I mean, this is, this is those, you, you, you understand them because you know that you're a sinner saved by grace. You know that you're in the process of being made whole and being healed and, and being changed. And, and your, your view of people who do know Jesus is just that. They're the same boat that you are. But that the, the heart of it is that you're called to love them. You're called to support them, to be there for them, and to ultimately open up what God is doing in your life and hopes that God will somehow use you to change them. And he says, lay down the way you view people. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old is gone, the new is here. And he says, now all of this is from God in verse 18. He says, all of this is from God. The, the me going crazy for Jesus and, and the being compelled by love and, and living for Christ and making an impact and, and seeing the advancement of the church on the earth. He says, all this is from God, not viewing people through the lens of this world, but only through the lens of the cross. All of this is from God. And he says, and all of this is from God. And he, and he reminds you right before he gives you the biggest challenge of your life and the biggest ask of your life. He says, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. So he reminds you really fast, all of this is from God who has reconciled you to himself through Christ. Now I'm gonna make sure that we're on the same page with reconcile because it super matters. God did not just forgive you for your sins. That's not reconciliation. God didn't just not hold your sins, your trespasses against you. That's not reconciliation. Reconciliation is when there are two people or two beings opposed to one another in two different places, 
And to be reconciled means that they, they, are now, they become together in the same place. It's like when me and my wife, Courtney, get into a fight when she's inevitably wrong, like she is sometimes, not everybody's perfect. Uh, that was a joke. I'm wrong 99% of the time. But when we, I don't take out the trash uh, or I don't do something and, and she, we, we get opposed to one another. We're in two different places, two different thought processes. We're, we're, we're opposed. To reconcile is to forgive each other, come together, make out, and move on. Okay? That's, that's 100% the greatest marriage advice I can ever give you in every fight. However brutal the fight was, that's how brutal the makeout session is after. And your marriage will be saved. Okay? I'm just throwing that out. There's bonus information. But reconciliation is that you, you, you are in the same position when it's, when it's done. And that's what, that's what the Father, that's what God did through Christ. He didn't just die so you could be forgiven for your sins. God wanted to be with you and he wanted you to be with him. He said, I'm not holding your sins against you. I'm not holding your trespasses against you. I'm saving you from your sins so I can pick you up out of the darkness you're in and bring you into my presence. So I can pick you up out of the, 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 the death and the hell that you're in and bring you into my life, into my light. He says, I want to make you a part of my kingdom. I want to make you a part of my family. He says, I, wanna, I don't want to just forgive. I'm not just saving you so you don't have some eternal punishment. He said, I'm saving you so that we can be together. I'm reconciling you. I'm picking you up. I'm putting you where I am in my presence. I'm making you a part of my family. I'm making you a son and a daughter. I'm putting my spirit inside of you. I'm guaranteeing eternity with you. It's all secure. I'm picking you up. I've reconciled you. There's nothing else that needs to be done. What, what needed to be done was taken care of through Christ. Now I'm pulling you to myself and I'm making you righteous and I'm making you like my son Jesus and I'm preparing you to live with me forever in heaven. That's, that's what reconciliation is. And he says, so all of this is from God who's reconciled us, who's done this, everything we just said, who's done this through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Now this is heavy. And this is one of those where I would love to just get all excited and, and, and have a lot of energy and us to have like a brave heart moment, like a, you know, like a remember the Titans halftime speech and just get all excited and go out there and conquer hell. That'd be epic. But I don't want you to have any sense of, I don't want you to be inspired by anything other than Jesus right now. Because what he's saying to you is he's saying the way that I reconciled you to me, God's saying, I'm giving you that ministry so that I can reconcile the people around you through you. You know, ministry, the word ministry literally just comes from the, the Greek and Aramaic word that literally means to wait tables like a servant. This was the word that Jesus hijacked to make it a part of his movement. This is the word that he wanted his followers to think of themselves as being a servant to the world. Literally, in this day and age, not much different from today, that of this, this word, the originality of this word, that they would just stand in a room while people were eating and they would just wait. And their whole job was when they were in need of something like to get more wine, that they would give them wine or they needed bread or they would get bread and you know whatever they needed, that they would just wait, that they were a servant. And, and Christ took this word and he turned this into what we call ministry. And he says, so when you, you take that and you connect it to something like the ministry of preaching, like what I do, one of the things that I've been called to do with my life is to serve the church 
by preaching, to, to spend hours of my life in prayer and seeking the Lord and studying the scriptures and preparing the message and, 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 and coming out on the weekends or in, in, in podcasts or in one-on-ones or teaching the staff, but that one of the ministries or one of the ways that I serve the church is to, to study the word of God and to preach. But what God's called me to do, I'm doing it for you. I, I, I do what I do with my life for the cause of Christ, but for you. The, the, this is the heart of what ministry is, is that ministry is not for you, that ministry, what God calls a ministry to you in your life is for others. It's important that we get that. So when he takes this word and he connects it to reconciliation, and he says that everybody who's been reconciled has been given the ministry of reconciliation, he's literally saying, I have reconciled you, I've saved you, and now I'm asking you a question, can I save others through you? Literally, he goes on, to just, just in case we weren't sure what he's saying, in verse 19, he says, and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us to implore you on Christ's behalf. So literally, I, I, I want you to understand the, the, the personal attributes here. That, that Jordan's not asking you something, Paul's not asking you something today, but that God the Father is asking you something. He's, he's saying to the, everybody who is convinced that Jesus is the Son of the living God and that Jesus died for your sins, everyone's convinced that Jesus is the living and active King and is the Savior. He said, I'm, 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 I've reconciled you through Christ to myself. This is, this is the Father. This is the creator of the universe speaking to everyone he saved. Now I'm asking you, can I make my appeal to the lost through your life? That word appeal literally is beseech, it's call, it's the word used for beg. So you, you can't miss this. You can't miss this, that the creator of the universe is saying, I saved you. I created you. I saved you. I gave Jesus and Jesus came humbly and he was obedient to the point of death on a cross and he conquered death through his resurrection and you've put your faith in him and I've saved you. I've filled you with my spirit. I've made you a son and daughter. I've reconciled you to myself and now I'm asking you, will you let me save the people around you through you? Will, will you give me your life in this way that I can move through you into the lost around you? Now, it's, it's, it, it's, a, it's a heavy ask. I, I, I want to be clear. He's not saying, can I use you on Sundays while you're at church and still in the parking lot area and while you're at house church? Can, can I use... No, he's saying... Can I, can I have your career? Can I have your office space? Can I have your business? Can I have your time, your energy, your resources? Can I be a part of your marriage in this way? Can I be a part of your family in this way? Can I, can I be there with you when you're pumping gas at the gas station? Can I be there with you when you're in Publix? It's just where I shop, I don't know. Food line where God moves at food line too. Can I, can I be there? 
He's asking you, can I, can I be a part of your life in this way? And, and I, wanna be, I, just, I, I wanna be clear, because in a minute we're gonna go to worship and you're gonna answer this question between you and God, between privately and your heart. You're gonna answer this question, yes or no. I wanna be clear, he's asking you, can I have your life? You've been saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. You've been reconciled. I have filled you with my spirit. I've made you a son and I've made you a daughter and I don't hold your sins against you. I love you. I will love you no matter what the answer to this question is. I care about you and I've got eternity secure for you, but I have given you this ministry of reconciliation and I'm asking you, can I now move in your life in a way that will allow me to beg and to appeal and to beseech the people around you with the same love that saved you? Will you let me do that? Now that, I'm telling you, there's a hundred ways that I could preach this. There's, there's things that I could say and I could get us excited. But at the end of the day, the way that the church has overtaken hell for 2,000 years is not through great preachers. It's, it's not through, through, through great men and women of God. It's just not. It's through individual life touches where God moves through you and moves through your story to touch and to change and to save and to affect and impact the people around you. I'm telling you right here and right now, it's, it's, it's the testimonies. It's like what God did in Grant's life in the video that we watched. What God did in Grant's life it's gonna affect hundreds to thousands of people it already has. And now everywhere Grant goes, God is gonna move through Grant and change the world around him. And so this is a huge ask. You know, they're, they're calling Paul crazy. They're saying he's insane, he's a fanatic. You don't have to live like that. You don't have to do all, you can, you can stay a part of the culture, you stay a part of the world. You can. And Paul's like, nah, guys, listen, not only am I crazy, but I'm gonna ask you to be crazy. And so I'm here to say this, I want you to live for Christ and I want you to lay down your perspective of everybody around you. And I want you to go into your job and go into your career and go into your business and go into your family and go into your marriage and go into your life. And I want you to do it all open and willing and submitted to God so that God could save the world around you. It's huge, it's huge. But if you say yes, I'm telling you, if you say yes, you will start to experience a life of power and a life of purpose that cannot compare to any other way of life. I'm telling you right here and right now, I have walked with the Lord long enough to know there is something crazy epic about letting God move in your life like this. And the first time, just hear me now, you mark my words and you come and you find me and you tell me when it happens. The first time God moves in your life and eternally changes and saves someone and you get to be a part and you see it, your life will never be the same. Your life will never be the same. And that's what it is for the kingdom to advance. It's not to grow this church. It's not to have pursuit. Pursuit is gonna come and go. We're not, this, this is something we have to put on the sign. We are a part of the movement of Jesus Christ. And it advances not at the preaching and, and the leadership. It advances when your life, the best sermon people will ever hear is going to come out of your life, not any preacher's mouth. And so the, the ask is this, will you live your life for Jesus Christ in a way 
that God the Father can beseech and appeal and beg the people around you to experience the same loving salvation that you experienced? That's the question. Let's stand, let's go to worship, and you answer that question today in your heart and in your mind. I promise if you say yes, your life is about to get crazy awesome. Let's pray. God, I come before you, Lord. I know this is such a hard message. I know it's a difficult message. God, I know it's a deep message. But Father, I believe, Lord God, I am compelled by your love. As so many others in this room are, God, as so many others at home are, I am compelled. God, I am convinced. I know that you are the son of the living God. I know that Jesus Christ died for my sins. I know there is no greater cause in this world to live for than you. And so, Father, I do. I say yes this morning, God. I pray, Lord, that you will move in our lives, that you will move, God, through our careers, that you'll move through our jobs, you'll move in our families, God, that we will lay our lives down, Father, so that you can make your beg, make your call. God, send out your love to the world around us, God. Use us, Father, in your holy name. Amen.